0: to stand out from the crowd? Are you looking for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else? Sign up for the shoulder of Orion Patreon at bladerunnerpodcast.com
1: slash support and show the world you're something special.
0: The following audio entertainment is brought to you by the kind folks at Tyrell Corporation reminding you That civil registration isn't just common sense, it's the law.
2: Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am Jamie Prater, and this is Patrick Green. (laughs) (laughs) I did that (laughs) in And This is
3: Micah Green.
2: (laughs) And here we are. Again, uh, after a really emotional, heady, heavy episode on the character of Roy Batty, and it sort of went to places that we didn't expect it to go, realizations that I didn't really expect to have on that show. It was very emotional for you. Patrick, it was very emotional for you, Micah. Unfortunately, Dan can't be with us. He's in Seattle right now, so um, just shout out to Dan. We wish you were here. But we really wanted to sort of wrap up the conversation and get into a little bit of the of the comments about Roy Battery and Rudgerhauer and what he means to everyone, what he means to us. Um, or sort of the ends of those conversations in terms of what he means. But my question now to both of you and for me as well is how do you guys feel post episode one of or part one of that Roy Batty discussion?
0: Yeah, I was I, I'm still struck by how um how emotional i i got on that episode i i haven't done that too much on this podcast and i've I've been wondering why that that was and i think it's because um it was the first time i kind of had come to terms with his death in in like an honest way i think and 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 being able to do that live in that context was really kind of uh not like traumatic but it was it was heavy it was it was difficult and but i needed it it was a genuine catharsis and and i feel like different now i feel uh I feel like I can contextualize his death more and I feel like I can talk about it more and I can um, discuss his character in a way that is not entirely encumbered by Rucker Hauer's passing because um, there's always this fear, you know. I mean, like Micah has, right, as we're recording, she has a little Princess Leia doll right here. Like, there's this thing with actors that we become attached to and characters we become attached to when their death uh, becomes something we can't really kind of get over. In some ways, well, I know, and I'm speaking for Micah, I'll let her, speak for herself on this but speaking personally to a degree um like i'm not i'm definitely not there with carrie fisher's death yet that's still something that i'm kind of uh it's like hard for me to watch her and things still mm-hmm. and i i yeah. but i i feel like now when, I, when i've been seeing footage from blade runner and i've been seeing all the fan art of, of Batty and things since that episode i feel like okay with it i feel like at peace a little bit and um so I, I guess I, I want to thank you know you guys for giving giving me a personal you know venue for that catharsis and also for the listeners who uh, put up with me <laughs> wading through this emotional turmoil. Um, but he's been on my mind a, a lot since that episode and since his death. And, and I I'm um, I'm glad we have a final opportunity here to kind of wrap that conversation up for the time being and to able to move on but also to to like mark his passing with some voices from the community
3: i think for me i've just been thinking more about how how gifted we are to have 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 been able to see that actor um just portray the characters that he portrayed when he was with us and um my actual first time i saw him was in, I don't know if any of you guys out there know this, um, The Tenth Kingdom. Do you guys remember that miniseries? It was on TV. And I like, do, yes. Oh, oh, I was obsessed with it. That and has
0: Jamie Prater written all over it. Oh my God. Head. No, you think
2: it would, song. but it really doesn't. Yes. And I I had problems with it because I think at that no. point when... No, not so much. Just Jamie was I, perfect. <laughs> when I was exposed to it, I was really deep in... I was a teenager at that point. I think what year did it come out?
3: Oh, it was
0: 1907.
3: <laughs> it was like the, was it the late 90s, early 2000s at the latest. So it was is a while. Okay. I think it's the 90s, I believe. Okay, so if it was the was, late 90s, I was a
2: kid. I was a late teen or early 20s and I think at that point I was like head over heels into Alien because Alien Resurrection had come out and I was like Going crazy for the Dark Crystal and Legion or Legion Legend, um, and mm-hmm. other films, and I felt like that what ha- hampered my enjoyment of the Tenth Kingdom was the effects. To be honest with you, oh,
3: yeah, they're they're not great. It was yeah. two thousand. <laughs> yeah. <Yeah>. Oh, really? <laughs> okay.
2: So,
3: yeah. yeah, but still early twenties for me. Powers' performance of the hunter, like Snow White's hunter the person that the evil queen sends to kill Snow White in that fairy tale, that was Rutger Hauer. And he was absolutely terrifying, nightmare inducing. Um, But it wasn't like the big bad wolf or like some sort of cartoonish portrayal. I had never seen that sort of, I, 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 it was just so true. Like the way that he committed to that character, even in this like kind of clunky made for TV uh, series. Hallmark channel series. But I still loved it. And I remember being so chilled by his performance that it stayed with me ever since. And everything that I've seen him in, I was like, oh, my gosh, I know exactly who that is. And then when I finally saw Blade Runner, I was I was already prepared for an exquisite performance from him. And, of course, he delivered with Roy Batty. Um, so I think the last conversation that we had about him on the podcast, I have just been really – Appreciative of the work that he did not only as an actor, but as a person as a human in the world and The way he chose to live his life and um, use his platform um, I just I just really have a sense of appreciation for him. That's how I
0: feel Jamie, I know you've you've had kind of an eventful uh, couple of weeks personally since that episode and uh, Can you maybe discuss some of that with us and how how have you been since recording that?
2: um, well again, the episode was really eye-opening for me just in terms of how I interpret and digest the character of Roy Batty, Cause he's never a character I've really pivoted around or have had much thought of. And I think part of it is because I just couldn't relate to him. I didn't, he was this, what I described before this tall, beautiful, scary man who was essentially killing people. And so I've always been like, at the same time, I'm like, Oh, he's really handsome. Um, but he's really terrifying. I don't know. It, Rachel, as you guys know, is far more easy for me to, um, of a character for me to jump into because she's dealing with uh, internal isolation, she's dealing with loss of identity, all of those things that I've always questioned my own life, like, who am I, where do I belong, I thought I knew who I was, now I don't, what I knew was true is not true anymore. So Rachel, for me, is a character that I've, again, as you guys know, I've just held court with all of my life to get back to something that you were talking about, Micah, or at least in terms of like your initial experience of Rutger Hauer. I don't know if I saw Lady Hawk before Blade Runner. I might have, I might've seen Lady Hawk before Blade Runner. Um, I think I did. And I remember as a child or a young teenager, I might've been like 12 or 13 when I saw Lady Lady Hawk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember looking at his character. Essentially, the story of Lady Hawk is about a. It's set in the Dark Ages. It's very mythological. It stars uh, Matthew Broderick, Rudger Hauer, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer is cursed to be a hawk by day. Rudger Hauer is cursed to be a wolf by night, which is interesting because he howls like a wolf in Blade Runner. Uh, and Blade Runner was before. Um, lady hawk so it's just sort of interesting parallel how in he's this wolf sort of he becomes this animalistic wolf at the end of blade runner and then he he essentially plays a wolf in lady hawk at any rate i progress my first initial viewings of lady hawk i remember being transfixed by rudger Hauer, not because I mean, yes, he was a beautiful man, and I tend to see beauty first, and it's never a sexualized beauty. It's more just like, wow, they're beautiful. And I remember as a child, because I sort of, even though my father was present in my life, he was never emotionally present. So I was always looking at men, hoping that they could be emotionally present for me. So I remember looking at Rutger Hauer thinking, I wish he could love me. I would love him. You know, and it wasn't anything romantic so much. It was just like I want to be around him, I want to be near him, I want to be next to him, I want to put my head on him, and he just was tall and beautiful and looming, and he was a protector and sort of what I wanted out of a father um, that I didn't get. So those are my first impressions, and then later on with Blade Runner uh, again, my I've had I I think I have issue. Or people who seem too free have always I'm always averse to because I don't feel free myself. And I think that's what Rudger Hauer or Roy Batty really is, is he is the essence of freedom. And of course, some of that freedom involves killing, um, but he's a slave that decided to be free. And I've never viewed him that way before. I've never seen him that way before. I've always sort of blinked past him. Um, and the reality is, uh, and I know we're talking about Roy Batty, but I just really wanted to touch on this. Is just again the dichotomy between Roy Batty and and uh, and Rick Deckard. Rick Deckard was not free. Rick Deckard was isolated, unhappy, and um, and miserable. And the reality is, I am more Rick Deckard than I am Roy Batty. I am. I. I realize and. Post our last discussion, I've had a really difficult week in terms of like just sort of having some realizations in my own life and just all the fear that I live, live in my life that has been surrounding me since I was very young that I haven't been really aware of. Um, and what scares me has scared me about Roy Batty is his freedom because I am not free. And that's been the, been the biggest revelation for me. I don't really have a a bow for this or, or a box to put this in, but it's, I think we're always in process Uh, and I'm, I'm sort of a self-worker, like how can I be better? How can I do better? Um, and Roy was the beginning, our discussion of Roy really was the beginning of this journey that I went on the past week and a half really, where I've never cried so much in my life as I have the last week and it's good. It's really good things, but it's really like. I'm not, you know, and, you know, we we all deal with things, whether it's, you you know, you guys are busy or, you know, I've been dealing with economic hardship for, oh, for about a, over a year now and looking for a better job and not being able to find one, but, and sort of trying, but at the same time experiencing some of the most amazing things in my life that I've ever experienced. Um, but I really throw it back to some of these discussions that we have about Blade Runner and how these themes, who are we, where do we belong? Are we free? What is freedom? What is being human? And who who was the human in, the, in that final scene with, with Rick Deckard and Roy Batty on the roof? Who was the human in that scene? It was Roy Batty. Roy Batty was the human in that scene, not Rick Deckard. Roy Batty, the synthetic or whatever, the organically synthetic human, was teaching that human how to live. And that was, I think, I've watched Blade Runner since then. And I... It was the first time I've ever seen, I've ever felt Roy Batty speak to me. That's never happened before. And uh, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. And that's really all that I can say right now. It's really great stuff. I mean, this is why I love stories. This is why I love movies. They teach us so, if we're willing to listen, it can teach us so much about ourselves.
0: I think you've touched on what is really like the miracle of this podcast and of this fandom, which is that it creates a an excuse to go back to that place routinely and regularly in an environment that is full of people who are willing to go there with you right um people like mark this guy from arizona who's been calling us recently he is a combat veteran with ptsd hugely influenced by blade runner has a lot of great stuff to say that i'm sure we'll get to on a future episode but we get things like this all the time from people all over the world who listen to this show and um and it's amazing because, you know, I should be clear, like, it's not like there are hundreds of millions of people listening to this podcast. It's not an enormous podcast. It's it's a healthy podcast. But the reality is, is like there is a, a small group of people in the world who listen to this show and are connected to this fandom in the way that somebody who would tune in week after week to hear people talk about the same couple of movies over and over and over again would be. Right. And that's amazing. That is uh, – an incredibly powerful idea, I think, because the sort of people who do that are the sort of people who are okay with unpacking concepts. Like <laughs> Mike is giving me a look because <laughs> I say unpacking too much. <laughs> you don't <say> <laughs> the, the 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 sort of people who are okay with going there on issues that are really hard to talk about. For me, because like you alluded to, you know, my life is is really busy, especially lately. Um, you know, as a as a father and a husband and as somebody with multiple careers and doing a lot of stuff. Um, I, I do find myself occasionally not having the headspace to think about these things. Right. But every time we talk and every time we engage on these movies and every time I watch them and every time Micah and I stay up late talking about them, I am brought back to that place. And that place has been there my entire life. You know, like we, we fall in love with these films when we are, you know, younger, right? When, when Before life gets crazy and before we kind of have a vocabulary to talk about trauma and pain and to talk about stress, right? It sort of predates that a lot of the time. And um, every time we have these conversations and every time we hear people call in from, you know, all over the place with these very personal uh, voicemails and messages, I'm brought back to that place, that same place where when I was 11 or 12, I would have a sleepover and we'd be up at three in the morning talking about, the meaning of life, and not being ironic about it, and not feeling embarrassed for talking about simple things, because the simple things are the things that we need to talk about.
3: Well, I just want to comment on to the things that you guys were talking about, um, and and one of the reasons why I'm realizing that movies like Blade Runner and 2049 means so much to me and to the people who listen to this podcast. I think it is such an enrichment to our lives that we get this moment to be Rick Deckard, like you said, Jamie where we are sitting there on that roof with Roy Batty being taught how to live our lives. And I think that is an incredible blessing because when we are busy we can get so bogged down by the, the menial day-to-day things and your train was late and you get the, to your place and you're grumpy and you're pushing along with all these people and your coffee tastes gross from Dunkin' Donuts and all of that. Like It can just get to you sometimes and these movies are like that time out to be like, you know what? What you have is the most precious thing in the universe and here's a moment right here and now to sit there and just be in it and really absorb what it means to be a a human being in the world and what it really means to be vulnerable, to be a fragile thing, to be a strong and brave thing and also to just, I don't know, like you, you just can sit there for a second and look at your life and be like, holy crap, I am so lucky to have what I have.
2: It's pretty miraculous. Totally. Yeah. You know, and as, again, as we're talking, I'm thinking about all of these films that we all love, the things that we've discussed, like I, I, for some reason, the character of Mary Poppins popped into my head just because she's one of those characters like Roy Batty, who's teaching us to be better. And I think that's what the great stories do. We meet these characters and sometimes we don't want to listen to them like me, or sometimes we don't know we need to listen to them. Um, And another quote that pops into my head from a very divisive film, but it's a quote that I love, and I won't tell you who says it, but I'll, you probably know it when I say it. This character says, the belonging you seek is not in front behind you, it is in front of you. And I, that, quote, that quote or whatever has been playing in my head all week. Um, as someone who loves nostalgia, as someone who's always thinking about the past and my childhood or, you know, the the wonderful parts of my childhood that are over, over forever and thinking about all those things in the face of the financial adversity that I'm kind of living in day in and day out, but I realize that's not all of those things are going to keep you there, you know, like, whereas if we, if we're listening we're going to move forward. Like if we're listening to the right stories, if we're listening to the right people, if we're not tossing out what we hear because it's difficult for us to hear, or it's, or it it's, it's uncomfortable for us for whatever reason. And I, and as we talk about Roy, um, I just also again, realize he's a largely uncomfortable man. I mean, he makes people uncomfortable, not just because of his physical presence, but because of what he says. I mean, his first, his first entryway into the film is that quote, fiery the angels fell essentially almost like he's an angel from heaven saying i've come to change the world that's who he was he was an angel like an angel of the lord essentially the lord might be might be tyrell um or the tyrell corporation saying and I, as i, I i'm sort of sort of um experiencing this now where i think about like if you if you know much history about the bible there's uh stories in the bible about angels having children with with earth women and those children are called the philistines um but when those children are younger they're called the nephilim which is they're children of men and and angels and they're powerful and they're some of them are giants and they're mythical and i really feel like roy and the replicants are sort of those those same people, there's those same creations where they're they're children of men. They're not quite men. They're not quite gods. They're stronger than us. And they have so much to tell us. Um, but mythology says we've always cast those people out. We've always thrown those people aside as well, you're worthless or we're your master as opposed to, you know, well, maybe they're here to teach us something about who we are. And even the, the, the quote or the, um, the mantra, more human than human. There's something to that. There's something to that quote. They're saying the more human than human. I feel like that quote means they understand what it is to to be to want to be us more than we do because we've let that go. We've squandered it. We've lost ourselves in, in technology and in everything that drives us apart, whereas the replicants are like you no know, how do we how do we live how do we stay together i mean they banded together to 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 find a better life and it didn't work out for them but they tried at that point humans weren't doing that humans were sort of lost in this this dystopia of probably fornication and technology and just checked out like deckard was deckard is almost a a a, a cipher or a I don't know if cipher's the right word, but or an avatar for humanity at that point in our lives. Even you could see it in Bryant. Everyone's checked out. And the only person who sort of isn't is Gaff. But we don't really know who Gaff is or what he is. To be honest, even when we meet him later on, we don't know what Gaff is. Um, Anyways, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm having these revelations. I'm seeing Blade Runner and the character of Roy Battery and what he... Did I say Battery? He said Battery twice, yeah. You're
0: you're in a headspace with that.
2: um, I'm seeing the character of Roy Batty in a completely new light and who he represents, what he represents, and the angel... He is the angel of our better nature. He really and truly is, and I've never seen that before. And I know, Micah, you said something about you know, these two movies and we keep sort of how much is there to talk about. It's like everything becomes new again, the more we, the more time we take. And that's, that is a miracle. I mean, that we're so open and I'm not trying to be like, oh, we're, we're so great. We're, you know, we're woke people. It's not so much that, but I just feel like we're, we're willing to listen. And if you're willing to listen, there's a thousand stories in one story. And I think that's who Roy Batty is.
0: And that's why that's why uh, nostalgia when it comes to Blade Runner and, and properties like that is not a dangerous thing at all, because it, it, it can pull you back into something that can reflect your current day. You know, it doesn't tether us to the past, but it gives us like a continual window into the future in the context of where we came from. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it, it's no it's no accident that these conversations on Roy Batty have um, brought up some of these like really fundamental deep issues about slavery and agency and things. it's it's and, and it's and it's not surprising that we can't stop talking about it because humans have been talking about this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, these ideas predate handwriting. Um, and what's amazing is that in in Roy Batty, I feel like they get their perfect angel, you know, their perfect vector for discussion. this idea of what is human, what is freedom? and um, do I matter if I am not? an activated individual in the society, you know, I just, I'm I'm just so lucky that we have art like this to to live with and to talk about.
3: Right. And it's also special because every story, like you said, Jamie, every movie can speak to us differently and it can speak to us differently depending on what day it is that we watch it. You may have seen the movie a hundred times, but you sit down and watch it again. If you're in a different headspace, it's going to speak to you in a different way if you let it. And I think, the great movies that do that, like Blade, the Blade Runner movies, are just like I said, they're gifts, and it's it's so important for us to have these conversations to really create and like foster that meaning that we derive from the movies and really take it with us every day. When we do get into the um, the sort of like I was saying, the boring everyday things, you can take a step back and really remember those lessons that that angel is trying to teach us, like how to be a better human how to at least take a moment and appreciate what you're what you are and where you are and why you are. And it's, I think it's the most important thing that we can do in a day.
0: I think if it's okay with you guys, um, I, this is maybe a good chance to segue into some of the um, reactions from you, the listeners, because, um, as as we've been mentioning here, this this film hits us all very differently and Batty's... Um, or, oh God, there we go again. Rucker Howard's death <laughs> hit us all very differently too. And um, so, Jamie, is it okay if we move on to that? Yeah, let's do it. So um, there was, of course, this outpouring of reactions from um, around the globe, some from celebrities, many from fans. Uh, we wanted to capture some of those. We're going to take turns reading some. Um, Jamie, maybe you can kick us off with Daryl Hannah's quote um, at the top. And then um, as we go through... Uh, you know, if you if you have things that you want said that you feel like um, didn't make it into this conversation, you can always shoot us an email or you can um, give us a voice message on the number that's in the show notes uh, or you can reach us on on Facebook and join fields of Calantha. The threads that we're going to be pulling from primarily are from our shoulder of Ryan Facebook page and from our fields of Calantha discussion group. Um, and uh, thank you to all of you who reached out. Uh, it's it's a very personal question to talk about his passing and um, we really appreciate you very much. And then we're gonna end with uh, your voices.
3: So Daryl Hannah speaks out on Blade Runner co-star Rutger Hauer's passing. I have a profound love and respect for Rutger Hauer. I am heartbroken to learn he has left us. He was unpredictable, extremely human, inspired, electric, and mesmerizing. It was thrilling to work with him as an actor and I admired his deep commitment as an activist with his support of the important work of Sea Shepherd and of those who fight against the scourge of AIDS. The actor's mad brand of poetic genius inspired me as a teen in so many fil- films like Soldier of Orange and *Spetters*. But I will always hear his haunting words from Blade Runner, all these moments will be lost in time,
2: like tears in rain. The irony of that quote that Daryl Hannah includes at the end of what she has to say about Roy Batty slash Rudger Hauer is Roy Batty will not be lost like tears in rain. He he is he is probably one of the most iconic mythical characters to ever live, not just in science fiction, but in film in general. He is as iconic as Scarlett O'Hara, as as. Uh, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz as Mary Poppins as you know so many great mythological characters that have been born in film and that have lived with us for either decades or you know or uh, you know soon enough it'll be centuries but certainly decade after decade or uh, uh, yeah he will not he is he his words and his life will forever be um, surrounding us he will not be lost
0: So now we're going to go to some of our listeners. Uh, Jason Romeo Ledger says, What's so special about Rutger is how much he brought to Blade Runner. He took the role and made Roy his own, capturing the imagination of all who bore witness to Blade Runner for years to come. And what's amazing about it is how he will never be forgotten for the monologue he wrote for the film's ending.
2: The next one is from Rich Johnson, and Rich says, or writes... It's easy for a character to become overshadowed by such an iconic and poetic performance as Roy Batty, but the poetry was always there from his Dutch films to his interesting choices and roles after Blade Runner. There was a gravitas and articulation that was mesmerizing to watch, and it was all in those eyes. A truly unforgettable presence on screen and you hear nothing but love and admiration for him off. May he rest in peace and continue to inspire for centuries to come.
3: This is from Brad Simkins. Blade Runner would lack the depth it has without his portrayal of Batty. his last scenes and the dialogue he contributed was not only poetic and heartfelt but also a statement that everyone relates to on a basic human level we all have our own experiences most others will never know but are intrinsic to us individually and all of this is just from one character in one film thank you so very much mr howard
0: edward crater says And to think, Roy Batty saw what he saw so beautifully. Sea beams glittering by the Tannhauser Gate. Makes a person like me want to be there to join all those lost souls I miss. I wonder if we all have a chance to get there, to finally see these things. And if a machine, a replicant, or a Terminator can know the value of a human life, or human love, maybe we can too.
2: This is by Stephen D. Stephen Ambrose, or I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. Rudger Hauer added as much detail to Roy Batty as Ridley Scott did to the mise en scene of Blade Runner. Roy is alternatingly and sometimes simultaneously intimidating, fiercely intelligent, childlike or childish, introspective, poetic, confident, insecure, furious, fearful, curious, confused, enlightened, and so much more. The character displays an emotional instability born of his circumstances. He is a four year old with an unstable amalgam of adult thoughts feelings, fears, and desires—perhaps even some PTSD from off-world wars—and he is facing the existential crisis of his very limited morality and impending death. By the film's end, he arcs from villain to anti-hero to hero and flips the traditional Hollywood narrative 180 degrees. His character also does something extraordinary. He helps to redeem the humanity of the dehumanized, confused, and beleaguered Blade Runner who hunts him, Deckard. It's an incredible performance. Inspired and filled with so much passion that Roy Batty is a perfectly realized creation who is believably more human than human, a killer. Yes, certainly, but he is trying to save his life and the lives of people involved in the business of creating replicants who are essentially slaves suffering from extreme existential anxiety. However, by the end, he displays empathy for Deckard, the destroyer of his friends, by saving his life when he realizes they both share a kinship and their desperate desire to stay alive. Roy realizes that he is as human as Deckard is when he sees how Deckard confronts his own mortality with pain, anger, fear, and defiance as he hangs from the girder. But it is his defiance when he spits at Roy that makes them brothers. Kinship Roy saves Deckard and shares his enlightenment of the nature of his limited lifespan, an enlightenment that changes Deckard and, along with his relationship with Rachel, helps redeem him. It's an extraordinary performance by Rudger Hauer and Harrison Ford. So much is communicated by facial expression, vocal inflection, posture, or movement. There are many reasons that Blade Runner is as beloved as as it is, and these performances are among those reasons. Rudger Hauer created an iconic character in one of the greatest films ever made. Of that there be no doubt, and he will be remembered in time, like tears in rain.
3: This is from Daniel White. My sadness is twofold. Obviously, I am devastated by his death, but I'm also reflecting on how the industry didn't properly embrace such a talented and unique actor. It's almost criminal that he wasn't more in demand, and I can't help feeling a great talent was underused and underrated. Maybe this makes his baddie portrayal even more precious. Watching the baddie performance as a teenager changed my entire perception of the concept of the villain. The tears and rain monologue was and always will be a defining moment in my life
0: and then errol jameli says his performance is great because batty is both in control and at the same time scared of his own emotions to me calling him the villain of the movie is wholly wrong he is the protagonist he is the heart of the movie granted he does murder sebastian and tyrell But this shows the replicant's emotional stunting. And in a way, it actually surprises the audience when he spares Deckard's life. That this person can be capable of both great pain and great humanity. Batty is truly a great character brought to life by a great actor. Rest in peace, Mr. Hauer.
2: That's really lovely or we're going to be ending this episode. It's not going to be quite as long as our first one, but we felt like this was a a good way to sort of bring it all back around. But one thing I did want to sort of touch on is as we've just discussed Roy Batty and well, first of all, we haven't had an episode about Rachel and that's sort of the elephant in the room for a long time. Rick Deckard was the elephant in the room. We just weren't talking about him. And then we had Rudger Hauer, um, Rudger Hauer's death. And so kind of here we are at a part two of a, essentially a send off to him. And what's interesting about Rudger Hauer and Roy Batty is he feels, and I don't know about you and I don't mean this to be spooky, but like, I feel Roy Batty like in this room with me, like his, his words, who he is, his mythology, his, his humanity is so present. And in me in, in a way it's never been present before. Just him saying, live, live, which is what he's telling Roy Batty at or Rick Deckard at the end he's just saying live live your life Um, which is essentially what Gaff tells Rick Deckard too at the end you better live no one lives you know so it's it's time Um, but one thing I noticed about as in our discussions with Roy or about Roy is I keep thinking about Rachel and I keep thinking about how Rachel is the antithesis of Roy Rachel is doesn't know who she is has been sold a bill of goods, and then those goods were torn away from her. She doesn't know where to go. she she doesn't know what to do. And then you have Roy, who knows who he is, knows what he wants, knows where to go. He doesn't know if it's gonna end in in anything good for him. Obviously, we know it doesn't, but he's 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 going on that journey. His humanity is saying live at all costs and it's taken him to the Tyrell building. So you have these, but at the same time, the commonality that these replicants share is that they've been devastatingly impacted by the flaws of humanity, by the flaws of humans who, are, who live in great big buildings and they're part of conglomerates and companies who just want to make money. And so they've created this, these humans who they don't care about. And one's lost their agency and one has found theirs. And it's just, it's very, it's very sad. It's very, it's, it's haunting. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's just a tragedy. Even though there's so much to celebrate with Roy, his death is at the hands of those who made him, um, who wanted, really wanted control over him. And that's just one thing that I was thinking about, uh, as we were discussing.
0: I think you're right, but I do want to reiterate something that I said last time, which is that they don't win ultimately. And I think it's important to remember that he does die. You know, he doesn't get more life, but he does impart that onto somebody who did not have it before that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think in in doing that, he does win, you know, like he does actually accomplish what he came back from Mars to do, which is to bring more life into the world, you know, And, and, and in a way that wasn't what he had anticipated and in a way that wasn't ideal for him. But clearly by the time he's pushing a nail into his hand and trying desperately to make it just one more minute, he is—he de- has decided that his goal now, now that he has killed Tyrell and he realizes that he is not going to survive this, his goal is to do something meaningful with this couple of minutes that he has left. And that's why it, it hits us all so vividly because like how many times have you been there in your life where it's felt like everything has fallen out from under you? And, um, and you realize, no, there's something still within me that I can do. There's still something in here that I can make of this. Mm-hmm. There's still some light in this darkness, you know, totally. And that's what bad, bad e is something that we perceive as darkness and then he becomes transfigured by the light within him. And mm-hmm. by the end of the movie, I mean, even just cinemographically speaking, he is a wash and light, you know, I mean, it's a problematic, final sequence um in terms of the different cuts of the film the way that that was shot um you know with the buildings and the dove and everything but it in a way it's kind of beautiful that in the in the first cut of the movie that we see it's it's a little awkwardly overbright there because it's almost like the light within him has gone out into the world and has like cleared the clouds away for that one second and it might be a little bit on the nose but i think it's um Sometimes being on the nose isn't a bad thing. Sometimes it's sort of okay to be clear about something in a movie where so many things are unclear, you know? I mean, he was a, he was a a bringer, a bringer of light. He was Promethean in that way. I think.
2: I feel like that's a good place for us to end it. Um, Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, We are going to end this episode again with some voices of people who took the time out of their day to leave us a message and tell us how they're feeling about Rudger Hauer, but Roy Batty and, and more so thank you everyone for calling us for leaving a message thank you everyone for listening this is great Uh, this is really like you know we do me and patrick between us we do six podcasts between us um but really this blade runner podcast for me is the most fulfilling i feel like i i it it's almost like therapy in a way but again that's what great stories do um if if we're listening there's so much to learn so thanks everyone for listening we love you guys. Thank you.
3: Thanks, for every, everyone.
4: Hey, Jamie, Patrick, and Dan. This is Chaz Hartman uh, with Blade Runner News HQ. Uh, first off, I just want to tell you all I'm a huge fan of what you do with the podcast, Shoulder of Orion. It's amazing. Um, just some real quick thoughts on Rutger Hauer and the character of Roy Batty so I didn't see Blade Runner for, for the first time until the fall of 1993 and that was the director's cut on VHS and going into that I never even had heard of Rutger Hauer uh, I hadn't read Philip K. Dick's book yet uh, so going into the movie all I knew is that Harrison Ford's in this movie uh, but for me I remember after watching the film that first time, the star of that movie to me was Rutger Hauer. And that, the character of Roy Batty to me is just one of the more fascinating characters pretty much at all of film that I've ever seen because really, like any great character, uh, Roy Batty has what I would consider multiple arcs or, uh, ...phases or stages in his development throughout the film, because I think when you first meet that character in the movie, he's just this real dangerous, mysterious figure um, that you know is one of the replicants. But you really don't know a whole lot yet about Roy and what is motivating him. And then throughout the course of the movie, you see this motivated yet desperate man who's clearly on a mission because he knows what is going to happen to him if he doesn't figure out how he can get more life. And then, you know, the climactic scene between him and Deckard near the end of the movie is just fascinating to me because you see this this fierce competitor in Roy Batty who ends up also being an extremely compassionate human being because, my gosh, he saves Deckard's life. So, you know, for me, when I look back at this film, and obviously after I watched it that first time, it blew me away. A year later, I went and bought the, the soundtrack on cassette, the Vangelis soundtrack with the dialogue included in it. And, uh, you know, it's just one of these things where, you know, throughout the past, whatever, 25-plus years of being a Blade Runner fan, uh, I, I look back on, on that first film and, and really see Rutger Howard as being the star of the show, in my opinion. And I think it's great, too, because it's really a film where you have you have two lead detectives, if that makes sense. You've got Deckard, who's charged with the the mission of, of hunting down these replicants, but then in a major way, you have Roy Batty also playing the role of a detective, if you think about it like that. And, you know, once I eventually read Paul Salmon's book and learned more about Rutger Hauer and what all he brought to this role, I was even more impressed with the film, with Rutger, and with Roy Batty. So, those are my thoughts. Again,
5: thanks Hello, this is Mark from Arizona, um, almost made it all the way through uh, the all the Blade Runner podcasts that are out so far, and just wanted to call in and, and personally just thank you so much for that extensive interview with uh, Mr. Paul Salmon, the uh, the author of Future Noir. Um, that's one of my favorite books. I've got the first edition and third edition, but I don't live in the UK, so never got that second edition. I think I'll have to for being the completest that I am. Um, just thinking this morning about something he said on Dangerous Days when he said there was a large emphasis on the material at the time of Blade Runner's release, and Blade Runner is ultimately about the spiritual. And as that relates to me, um, as I said before, I am a combat veteran. and have PTSD uh, from combat, and for many years I sulked away drinking uh, whiskey long hours of the night watching films and uh, Blade Runner was was one of my go-to's um, I'm almost on my third year of sobriety now and and I can still feel that desperation when I when I re-watch Blade Runner when I see Harrison Ford he's 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 startled he's jumpy he's he's his alcohol is his only real uh, coping mechanism that he's got going on and of course that's just it's not meant to last. Uh it, it it only works for a little while and then it doesn't. But um that you know, when I when I think somebody asked me, Hey, what is Blade Runner? I said, Really, it's about an alcoholic who has a spiritual awakening and that is when, when Batty saves his life and actually re reawakens him to to the I don't know, the meaning of it all, of, of keeping going. And uh I don't know, maybe just rambling. I thought I'd call in anyways. Thanks again, guys. Keep up the good work.
1: Hi again, Dan, Patrick, and Jamie. This is Allison, again, from Rhode Island. I put my thoughts into writing a little better, um, and I'd like to re-record. So here we go. The reason that Roy Batty is my favorite character in Blade Runner, which is my favorite film of all time, is in the first place, Roy is the most fully fleshed out character that exists in the film. We see the, his brutality in in killing people. We see his his love for Pris and his love for Leon and Zora, and the companions that that he that he travels with. Um, the second reason I I really enjoy Batty's character the most, is that he most fully encompasses Philip K. Dick's original premise of Joanne George's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is empathy. That's not lost on on those of us who've read the book. He has the most empathy of any character in the film, and you can see that, of course, when he rescues Deckard, who he could easily lead to die. And for, for Chris, as she dies, he kisses her. And the third reason that I love Roy's character so much is that Roy's story is truly a story of redemption. In, in that fact, it's truly archetypal in the very truest Jungian sense in that he's kind of a hero in his journey. He comes to the end. He starts off as an infant, very, very brutal in a way just destroy your life kills the, kills the shuttle uh, uh, kills the people on the shuttle off world um, kills his maker kills Tyrell and in the end he saves the man who's trying to kill him his story comes truly full circle it's almost an alpha and omega sacrificial hero situation, it's one of the things that endears Roy's character to me the most, because it's a cycle, and I I love seeing cycles in things, Um, and thank you so much for doing the podcast and this special episode on Roy. The death death soliloquy, which of course was partially written by Rucker Hauer, is so emblematic and so iconic. And no matter how many times I watch it, it moves me to tear up and to think about Roy's journey.
5: Hey Pat, uh it's Miles just calling for the Rucker Hauer Memorial episode. Uh there's there's really not much I want to say other than, you know, his monologue which from Blade Runner which obviously he improvised a lot of uh really changed my life and made me focus on enjoying the time that we have rather than trying to find some sort of means to uh, extend it. Um, but, of course, you know, he's really going to be missed, and it's up to, you know, guys like you, uh, podcasts like yours, and fans like me to really make sure that all of his work uh, isn't lost like tears in the rain. So keep it up. Thank you. Bye.
2: To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.